Praise the Lord. All right. But the, the church, uh, the, the word church is actually a Greek word called ekklesia. And it's uh, referring to the called out ones. The called out ones. And the church, as we see in Scripture, is never referred to as a building. was referred to as people. Because here's the thing. This is a building that's designated for the assembly of God's people. But if for any reason there was something not working in the building, and we had to meet somewhere else this morning, we would still have church because it's not relying on the building it's relying on people who are temples of the holy spirit gathering together and having the holy spirit manifest in their midst hallelujah and if we had to do that in the parking lot then we could have church in the parking lot amen but first peter 2 9 is a a verse that uh just puts this so well it says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation, uh, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we see uh, the, the, the two compound words that make that word ecclesia. We see the, the word called, which is kaleo, and the word out, which is ek, and you put them together and you get ecclesia. And, and really the, the, the original uh, meaning of the, of the word in the Greek language is a gathering of citizens that, that are called out from their homes into some public place. So, so they're called out from their homes into a public place of assembly. The, that's the original meaning of the word. Except for us, we're called out of darkness. Hey, <laughs> we're called, called out of old messed up ways of thinking and old messed up lifestyles, called out of death into life, called out of light into darkness, called out of a messing and into a blessing. Hallelujah. Someone say, I'm a called out one. But what does church look like to God. If we're going to go ahead and examine this and really examine it right, we're going to need to look at the Word and, and, and see what God sees, or shall I say, see what God expects to see. Because if we look and see church as one thing in the Bible, and we see another thing in our own experience, it's not for us to say, well, the times have changed and, you know, we're just doing things different now than they did back then. No, no, the thing is, is that if we're not experiencing what they experienced and have happening in our settings and in our assembly, what they're having in theirs, the goal is for us to say, what's going on here? Because the word don't adapt to you or me. We adapt to the word. Amen. All right. So let's go ahead and start taking a look at this. First of all, one thing that you see about the church from the way God sees it is that you see every nation and tribe. Hallelujah. You know, Revelation 7 puts it so beautifully. Verse 9 and 10, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, Standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
Someone say all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. That's what church looks like to God. You know, uh, also in uh, Revelation 5, it makes reference to the fact that we've been redeemed to God by His blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So it's interesting. When, when, people, pray what is, when people pray what is traditionally called the Lord's Prayer, and they get to that point where they say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're actually asking God for the kingdom to look here the same way it looks there. Hey. Now, some churches pray that and mean it. Some churches pray that and really don't mean it. You can tell because they get rattled if somebody walk in the building that don't look like them. Oh, Jesus, come on now. But it's... See, for, for the world to be a mess when it comes to ethnic differences and racial differences is one thing. But for the church to be off in that area is absolutely pitiful and an abomination before God. That's why I'm glad that I'm in a place like this that is a microcosm of heaven. A picture on earth of what heaven looks like. I'm with all my peeps in here, praise the Lord. From every nation and every tribe and every tongue, thank the Lord. So thank God that that when we pray that, we mean it. We want everybody from every ethnic background and every race and every tribe to be in the kingdom of God all under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what church looks like to God. What else does church look like to God? Well, let, let me tell you, it includes men and it includes women. Praise the Lord. Acts 2, verse 16 through 18. This is Peter's explanation of what was happening there on the day of Pentecost. Says things got rowdy in the upper room, man. And that Pentecostal party just uh, went out into the streets of Jerusalem. And, and everybody's saying, what's going on? And some people say, what these guys been drinking? But then Peter gets up and says this, verse 16 of Acts 2, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I tell you, when God gets going with his people, he's pouring his spirit out on all flesh. That means the masculine and the feminine. Come on now. <laughs> Praise God. And what an awesome thing to realize is that there's no second class citizens. There's nobody who, who, who's looked down on in the kingdom of God. Everybody is on equal standing with God. Sons and daughters, equal standing with their daddy. Hallelujah. And no matter where you come from and what side of the block you come from, when you're a child of God, you just, you just as much of daddy's boy or daddy's girl as anybody else. Whether you're an up-and-outer or a down-and-outer, we were all out and needed to come in. Praise the Lord. 
And also we see this. We, we see that the, the way God sees the church, we see people not, not just of, of the same kind of background. We see people coming from diverse economic backgrounds. Hallelujah. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, as he was uh, reading out of the scroll of the prophet Isaiah to uh, uh, the, the people there in his hometown, he started reading this and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Thank God. Thank God. There's still good news for the poor. Hallelujah. And part of the good news for the poor is you don't have to say that way. Thank God for that. But you know, in uh, the Luke chapter 7, we, we see the, one of the uh, uh, dis- disciples or several of the disciples of John the Baptist asking Jesus some, some questions and, and wanting to go and bring their answer back to John. And, and Jesus said, hey, go tell John the things that you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Isn't that great? So we know that this gospel is for the poor. But it's not only for the poor. We see over Matthew 27, verse 57, after Jesus had been crucified, it makes reference to the man who actually used his tomb for the, the burial of Jesus. It says, Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. So here we've got Jesus having a rich disciple who actually used his tomb. And wow, what, what a thing to be able to say. That, that the resurrection took place on my property. Wow. And nobody else has that claim but this guy forever and ever. He said, I'm so glad I bought that plot of land. Praise the Lord. Something eternally historical took place on that property. (laughs) You know, talking about rich people and Jesus ministering to those who are rich. Remember a short guy in the Bible named Zacchaeus. He was rich. And he was short. Someone say, praise the Lord. Yeah, one of my favorite verses, uh, it only works in the King James Bible, but it says, Lo, I am with you always, you know what I'm saying? So, all right, for those of us who are lower the, to the ground. But, but uh, uh, Zacchaeus, you know, couldn't see Jesus climb the tree to get a better view. Jesus said, hey, come on down, I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus received him gladly. Salvation came to his house. This was a rich man who was lost. And realized, yeah, I, I got some money in the bank, but, but he got something I don't got. And you remember this. You remember the words of the angels to the shepherds when they were announcing the birth of Jesus on that wonderful Christmas night? They said that this is good news of great joy, which is for all people. Somebody say all people. All people. So therefore, whatever side of the tracks you're from, this is for you. It was for those shepherds who, who were, uh, you know, just out in the field taking care of the sheep. Obviously not the kind of uh, uh, money-making position that some people would desire to be in. But, 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 but the, the best that they could go ahead and do. And yet at the same time, uh, 
uh, a period of time later, but coming to see the, the, the young child, Jesus, were some wise men, some magi from the east. So when the shepherds came, they had sheep with them. But when these guys came, they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh with them. But it's interesting that from both ends of the economic spectrum, they came to see Jesus. Now, for the poor that come into the church, what's the good news? Psalm 113, 7 and 8, he raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ass heap. Glory to God. That he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. So I tell you, God's looking to go ahead and give a lift to people that need a lift. Hallelujah. Which includes all of the above. So somebody said, well, do you go ahead and give a fish or do you teach them how to fish? Well, what you do is you go ahead and give fish long enough to sustain them until they learn how to catch the fish. Amen. So it's not an either-or proposition with God. God knows how to do both. Hallelujah. And then 1 Timothy 6, 17. For rich people that are coming into the church, this is God's advice to them. And I, I use that word advice loosely. God don't give advice. God just says, here it is, do it. You know what I'm saying? But First uh, Timothy 6, 17 says this. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So praise God for the rich coming into the kingdom. The advice is don't be stuck up. Just go ahead and trust in God because those riches are uncertain. You may have something in your 401k today and, and not have something in your 401k tomorrow. That, that is uh, uncertain, but you can trust in the certain God who will go ahead and give you richly all things to enjoy. Amen. Now, let's go ahead and take this a step further. What does God see when God looks at the church? What, what, what is God's idea? What's the way God wants it to be? What, what does God intend? God intends the church to be multi-generational. Multi-generational. You know, we read Acts 2 a little bit earlier. We'll go ahead and take another look at uh, one verse in particular. Uh, well, actually, uh, it's a verse. We'll look at 17 now. Acts 2, verse 17, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So what this is, this outpouring of the Spirit of God, which is not just for them, but it's for all people, for all times. It's for everybody. And this is for young and old. Glory to God. You know, Paul instructed Timothy to, to go ahead and have ministry that, that goes in, in every direction. To go ahead and exhort the, the, the older men as fathers and the younger men as brothers. The, the older women as mothers and the, the, the younger women as sisters with all purity. You know, Paul instructed uh, Titus re- regarding the, the, the admonishing for, for the older ladies to ad- admonish the younger ladies to, to love their husbands and love their children, to be discreet and chaste and uh, g- good homemakers and, and, and uh, 
uh, obedient to their own husbands and not blaspheming the word. So, so the, the idea is this, that there's a pattern in scripture of, of where in, in, in the church that you've got the older and you've got the younger and the younger get the benefit of the wisdom of the older. That's a clear pattern here in the word of God. But, but you see, it's interesting is that you look at some churches and you've got some churches that are filled with people that are 60 and up. And in this day we live in, you got some churches that don't have anybody in there over 40. That's why, once again, I'm glad to be in the mix of a multi-generational assembly. Because I got to tell you, you, you can't just listen to preachers that wear skinny jeans. <laughs> hey, hey, praise the Lord. And thank God for them. But, 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 but you see, uh, and Lord knows, I got to tell you this. At my leanest, this big bone man would not look good in skinny jeans. <laughs> at the leanest point in my life. I mean, if I tried to fit into some of those things, you would think, well, your first name is Anna and your last name is Rexic. <laughs> Moving right along. But thank God for the opportunity that we have to, to, to be able to have the combination of the two, that, that we've got uh, old and young together. And that we've got the opportunity for, for the young, the, the younger generation to be able to learn some of the old school wisdom of the older generation. Because as I've heard before, and I like to quote it often, if you don't get yourself some old school wisdom, you'll find yourself old and still going to school. <laughs> Lord have mercy. The scripture talks about how the older should look towards the younger. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise your youth. Another translation of that says, let no one look down on you because you're young. So you see, the older generation needs to look at the young, not just as those inexperienced people that think they know everything and all that. But, but, but to realize that there's a gifting from God and that there's, that there's something that, that is in them that is very valuable to them and not to be despised and not to be looked down on. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the idea of having both zeal and wisdom. And, and it's looked at that, well, the older people usually have the wisdom and the younger people usually have the zeal. Which means if that's the case and the two never meet, then you've got one, one part of the people that, 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 that know how to do it, but don't have any get up and go to get it done. And the other people that got get up and go to get it done, but don't know how to do it. But when we get wisdom and zeal together, oh, hallelujah, what a combination. When we get the older generation and the younger generation together, working together on the same page, what a blessing that is. So the Bible talks about how the older should look towards the younger. It also talks about how the younger should look towards the older. You know that God said in Leviticus that you shall rise before the gray head and honor the presence of an old man. Wow. And I tell you, we, we need a, a good dose of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Back in the church and back in our society again, Amen. You know, rather than just meeting somebody that, 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 that is an elder to you and saying, sup. 
spelled T-S-U-P, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> but, but that's not God's best. God's best is, is, is for uh, uh, the young to, to look up to the older and appreciate their wisdom and the value their life experience and value what they're bringing to the table. And also for the old to look to the young and realize that, that, that if I can go ahead and bring the wisdom of, uh, of my day and, and my generation into, into some, some, some uh, new ways of looking at things. And, and you see, truth is always the same. Truth's not being reinvented. But hey, if we got a new, fresh way to get a message out, get out a timeless message in a fresh way, let's go ahead and go for it. And it's interesting that the Bible even talks about how the young and the old should treat each other. Check this out. First Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Now read this. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Someone say, I ain't never read that in the Bible before. <laughs> and be cold with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I want to tell you something. If you're in the older generation, you need the younger generation. And if you're in the younger generation, you need the older generation. We can have some amazing grace and some busting a rhyme all at the same time. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and find somebody close to you and say, I need you. Especially if they're younger than you or older than you, say, I need you. Now, another thing about the church we need to realize in the way God sees it is that the church is His. He purchased the church, and He's the head of the church. You know, Acts 20, 28 says this, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. Woo! Now, the scripture refers several times to, to the church being Christ's body and Christ being the head of the church. In First uh, Corinthians 6, this is very interesting to look at. It's uh, verse 19 and 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, the scripture also referenced the idea that we're holding fast to the head. Because from him, all the, the body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments and grows with the increase from God. The, the, the increase that comes from God. But what, what is the connection? The body is vitally connected to the head. So when you realize that the church is his, that means you get your orders from headquarters. That means you're not just going ahead and living life and doing your thing in a flippant way where you just go ahead and make decisions and say, I don't need to go ahead and talk to God about it. No, you need to talk to God about it. You need to talk to the head of the church about it. Don't act like you're headless. You have a head and it's Jesus. And i got to tell you, things go a whole lot better for you when you run things by the head and when you follow the wisdom that's coming from the head. Glory to God. It flows a whole lot better then. Can I hear an amen? amen. 
You know, when God sees the church, you know what he sees? He does not see a stagnant organization. He sees a living organism. Praise the Lord. He does not see a stagnant organization. He sees a living organism. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says this, that you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, you're the stone, you're, you're, you're one of the stones in God's building. That's why you being in your place is so vital and so valuable to God and to the rest of the building. Because you know what? God has a place for you, a perfect fit for you. And if you're not in your place, imagine that you not being in your place can affect the structural soundness of God's building. Woo! We need to take that seriously. And know that this is not just, you know, a group or a club or some kind of stagnant organization where I'm... Well, I'm really not one of the bunch. I'm really not one of the inner circle. I don't matter. Everybody in this house matters. And when you know you do and you believe you do and you act like you do, boy, I tell you, we can see some amazing things. Glory to God. Everybody in this house matters. Everybody. And what does Jesus want to do with these living stones? Matthew 16, verse 18. He's talking to, to Simon. That, that's where he changed his name to Peter. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And though the rock Jesus is talking about is the words that just were uttered out of the mouth of Simon Peter when Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the rock that the whole church is built on. So that means those of you who have made that same confession that Peter made are one of the stones that are being built on that foundation. Amen. Hallelujah. And you see, growth has always been God's plan for the church. Not to be a stagnant organization, but a growing organism. God has always intended growth. And not just growth in quality, even though quality matters most to God. But God is also into growth in quantity. I mean, after all, he wrote a book called Numbers. Hey. <laughs> You know, as you read through the book of Acts, you see several places in Acts chapter 2, you see 3,000 souls getting saved. You see a verse at the end of the chapter that says that the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. We see over in Acts 4, and the, the book of Acts is a real good pattern. You know, if we want to go ahead and, and look at what the, the, the early church was like, and what, what we should look to have here in the church in 2019, the book of Acts is, is such a, a beautiful, clear pattern for us. Over in Acts 4, it says that, that many who heard the word believed, and the number of them came to be about 5,000. So you had 3,000, you got people added daily, and now you had another crop of 5,000. 
And then in Acts chapter 4, you see the, the, also the religious leaders gathering together and saying, hey, we need to keep this from spreading any further. Which means if those guys were trying to keep it from spreading, that must mean it was spreading. Hey, hey. Acts 5, we'll take a look at this one. Acts 5, 14 says, believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Acts 6, verse 1, the, the beginning of the verse says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. It's not just in there once or twice. It's just all over the place. Same chapter, verse 7. It says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples multiplied, but even beyond that, you, were, uh, you saw an influence of the word of God even on influential people. Even the priests, those who were part of the, the Jewish tradition and carrying out the rituals that, that, that were uh, passed on and, and carrying out the ordinances of the law, even the priests were affected by the word of God going out. So we see this growth mentioned over and over again of growth taking place, growth taking place, growth taking place. And then what happened? The church got persecuted. And even in the midst of persecution, growth took place. Because when the church got persecuted, it said they scattered. Philip went down to Samaria and preached. Hey, and guess what? He ran into this guy from Ethiopia, preached the gospel to him. And so this man who was reading Isaiah chapter 53 in his scroll on his chariot didn't have any idea what it was talking about. Philip hops onto the chariot with him and says, I can tell you about this guy. Preaches Christ to him. This man is saved. This man is baptized. This man is going back to his country and to his queen, Queen Candace of the Ethiopians, with the gospel. So even at the moment where persecution took place, growth didn't stop. It reminds me of what's said in the book of Exodus, that the more that the Israelites were persecuted, the more they grew and flourished and prospered. Hallelujah. What does church look like to God? It looks like something that's growing, something that's lively. Not something that's stagnant, something that's rolling along with, with strength and gaining momentum. Glory to God. Glory to God. What does church look like to God? It looks supernatural. And there is absolutely no way. I mean, if you put me up with the firing squad facing me, I will not deny it. I have seen the supernatural power of God for myself. But besides that, if I did not see it, I see enough evidence in the Word itself to know that it's not something of the past, it's for today, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. There's no way that the supernatural would be part of the, the beginning of the church age and not be in the church now. No way possible. Jesus said in Mark 16, this is called the Great Commission. These, these are some of the last words Jesus is speaking before he ascends to heaven to the right hand of the Father. He says, Mark 16, 15 to 20, And he said to them, Go into the world, into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. 
but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. Yeah, y'all believe in that? We sure do, absolutely. They will speak with new tongues. Y'all believe in that? Absolutely, we sure do. They will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. By the way, I want to say about that, that, that there, there's a difference between what happened to Paul when Paul was accidentally bit by the snake. Over in Acts, I believe the 28th chapter, he picked up a stick to put in the fire, and a serpent bit him, and he just shook the thing off and went on. See, I'm talking about that. I'm not talking about some people up in the mountain somewhere playing with snakes. I just want to be clear, all right? You got to say these things just so you're not wrapped up with some, some crazy folks, all right? So they'll take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Someone say the church is supernatural. And as you look through the scripture, you, you see mentioned, even in, in the writings of, of the, the apostles uh, to, to, uh, to various groups, you see mention of the supernatural taking place. Besides the, the, the great amount of, of miracles and, and, and healings and, and, and prophetic words and gifts of the Spirit flowing and functioning that you read about in the book of Acts, you also see in, in the epistles mentioned of, of the, uh, the signs and wonders that God's doing. You see, in Romans 15, uh, in verse 19, that Paul's talking about mighty signs and wonders done by the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he fully preached the gospel of Christ. Woo! Glory to God. We see this, that, that Paul's talking to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, and he's talking about the, the, the one who supplies the Spirit and works miracles among you. Someone say miracle working power. So the, the writer to the Hebrews in the second chapter in the fourth verse says, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Amen. And that's just to name a few. You've got a, 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 a really a, a whole a chapter that, that is dedicated to the proper use of the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church. Amen. And how to go ahead and do it in an orderly fashion. Paul got into great detail in 1 Corinthians 14 uh, about the, 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 the right use of the, the flow and the orderly flow of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the local church. But the great thing is this, is that God's got more for you than just what happens on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. God wants to flow supernaturally through you wherever you go and wherever you are. Oh, somebody need to believe that today. And you might say, well, I am not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, so what can I do? But you know, you've got to remember this, that what Jesus said in Mark 16 was that these signs will follow those that believe. 
not those that preach or those that are in the, the ministry full time. It said these signs will follow those who believe. And we see clear examples of that. We see in uh, uh, Acts chapter 9, who's the guy that was called on to go and minister to Saul, who we better know as the Apostle Paul? Jesus tapped on the shoulder of a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Talking about this old Joe disciple having Jesus appear to him in his room. And saying, I need you to go and find this guy named Saul. Yeah, that guy you heard about? Yeah, yeah, the terrorist? Yeah, him. Jesus gave him his address. He's staying at this guy's house on Street Street. Told him where to go and find him. And said, you need to go and lay your hands on him so that he would receive his sight. Because remember, he was temporarily blinded by the the, the great light he saw on the road. And that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. So talk about supernatural. You've got a, a, a vision taking place. He's seeing into the realm of the Spirit. That's called discerning of spirits. That's seeing into the realm of the Spirit. And then besides that, he's being given a word of knowledge. He's, he's finding out the address of where the guy's at. And then on top of that, what's happening? He's going there so that a blind man could see and somebody who just got saved could be wonderfully baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's called supernatural. But not through some big wig. That's happening through Joe Disciple. Or in this case, a man named Ananias. Stephen, it's interesting. In Acts chapter 6, the, the, the church had to deal with some issues. They, uh, uh, they said it's not suitable for us to go ahead and leave our time in the Word to go ahead and uh, 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 wait tables. So, so let's go ahead and get some people so that we can go ahead and trust with the business of the church. So the apostles were going ahead and giving themselves to the word, and they wanted to get seven guys to take care of some other matters of church business. One of these guys was named Stephen. And how did God use a guy like Stephen? Look at Acts 6 and verse 8. It says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Somebody who was just called to handle the church business, wait on the tables, take, take care of the widows in the church. He wasn't one of the apostles spending time in the Word, getting ready to preach the Word. No, no, no. He was, he was one of the guys that was just kind of handling church business. And what happened? This man is used in a supernatural way. Glory to God. Can you see yourself stepping out of your comfort zone? And that person you've been walking by every day and thought, uh, you know, I'd love to pray for them, but I'm not sure if they'd be open to it. And, and then besides that, you're really not sure if anything's going to happen. But, 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 but if somebody would be daring enough to believe the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, i say, you know what? Hey, can I pray for you? And I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus said that, that if believers lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. And I just want to let you know, I'm a believer. And I believe that. So you ready? (laughs) We need some boldness, glory to God. 
I'll tell you what, we've been chicken for too long acting like this thing's not true. If you believe it's true. See, you, you, you'll never see anything like this till you believe it's true. And you'll never see anything like this till you act like it's true. Woo! I'm going to fan myself today. Praise the Lord. And if we get ready to wrap this up today, how could we do it? Let's talk about God seeing the church in this way and God's desire for the church to be influential outside of its walls. Oh, my. Influential outside of its walls. You know, we made reference to the uh, religious leaders in Acts 4 that were concerned about the spread of the word. That they were concerned about the growth. We didn't want this to spread any further. And, and why? Because of a miracle that happened in Acts chapter 3, where this guy who was lame at the temple gate, or at the gate beautiful, one of the gates there, lame, and never walked. And everybody knew him. <laughs> everybody walked by him every day and threw a coin in his can every day. And then one day he's not there anymore. As a matter of fact, one day somebody walks in the same old gate that they would usually walk in and they see the same guy that's been laying there for years doing this. What's up with that? And the words that the religious leaders used as they were having this discussion, they said, for indeed, a notable miracle has been done, and it's evident to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. That's called being influential outside the four walls of the church. I love this wording in Acts 17, verse 6, in a place where Paul was preaching. And of course, you know, Paul went and preached, and uh, stuff got stirred up. You know how that went. Oh, Lord. Acts 17, verse 6, it says, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out. Listen to this. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And let me tell you this. you got some unbelievers that will tell you you're turning it upside down. But really, the truth is, you're turning it right side up. See, we got crazy politicians in our nation and the nations of the world. And we got people that, 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 that have a voice and could use their voice for a positive influence. And what they do is they spout a bunch of nonsense. And people actually listen to their nonsense. But you know what was happening? You got a whole lot of people in the world that, that, that stand on their head and tell you they're upside down. You'll get that on the way home. <laughs> but, but the real truth of the matter is they're upside down. And their way's upside down. They're saying what's right is wrong. They're saying what, what's wrong is right. It's almost to the point. It's like, what if you say, I just believe the opposite. 
But I got to tell you, you can be one that is said of you like it was said of them that you're turning the world upside down and really what you're doing is turning it right side up again. Now, we know the day we live in. We know that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. The Bible says so, and it's not a surprise that it's happening. But I got to tell you, we also have this instruction from the Lord Jesus that we can occupy until he comes. Which means no matter what's happening in the world, no matter the direction of, of, of things and the downward trend of the world and the downward trend of unbelieving men and women, thank God that as long as the church is here, we can exercise some influence. We can go ahead and let them know that we're still here. Not in a prideful way or to say, look at me, but we're doing what the church ought to do. We say, hey, you, look at Jesus. Not look at me, look at Jesus. And here's Jesus in manifestation. Here's Jesus in demonstration. You want to know what, the, what, what we're really about? Watch this. Yeah. Glory to God. Yeah. You know, Romans 1 verse 8 says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. How's that for exercising influence outside of your walls? Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And that's not you telling other people about what a faith person you are. That's people that have watched you and observed you. And you've got a reputation with God. And a reputation of, of being a person of faith. And there's posters, wanted posters of you up on the hallways of hell. Because you really believe this thing. Hallelujah. First Thessalonians 1, 6-8. Paul said, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out. I love that phrase. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. You see, when you're praying, your faith in God is going up. And when you go ahead and and sharing things with your fellow believers, your faith in God is going inward, inside of the body. But there's something about when your faith in God goes out. Exercising influence. Exercising influence. Letting people see the Jesus in you, where even if you're not saying a word, you've got people talking about it. This is the New Living Translation. 1 Thessalonians 1.8, that verse we just read. Check it out. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. What's Paul saying? We don't need to tell them about you. They're already telling us about you. The word is already out. Why? Because that's called exercising influence outside of the four walls of the church. 
That's not you doing something or you being something special. That's you plugging into Jesus and letting Jesus be who he is through you and flowing into your workplace, flowing into your family situation, flowing into your, your little setting around the, 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 the water uh, uh, cooler. You know what I'm saying? What an opportunity we have. And so, if life does not look like that for us, and for what we see in our own house, as, as we're definitely in a season as a church where we're evaluating what's working, what's not working. We're, we're, we're in a season of evaluating uh, uh, what, what, what's been good and solid and what needs to change. But as we evaluate, the number one way we evaluate is look at the book. And say, what does our experience as far as being the church look like compared to the book? Because if it don't look like the book, it's not time for the book to change. It's time for us to change. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray today. Father, we honor you. We give you glory and praise. Thank you for the good word of God that we've received today. Thank you for the spirit of God that's moving on our hearts and challenging us to come on up higher, challenging us to go deeper, to go into places with God that we've not been before. If we've only been ankle deep to, to take the step to go knee deep, if we've only been knee deep to go ahead and go further, further and further with God. Hallelujah.